0: I don't know if you noticed, but worship leader's not quite as tall, a little better filled out, maybe better looking, that's personal. But I asked myself a couple weeks ago, and Steve said when he was going to leave, you know, what can Brown do for you? Well, Brown can lead the music, so that's what he did. I'm so thankful. Now, if you know this, but Ben's from here. He was actually born in Laramie, and so he's one of ours. We barred him to his parents for a while. Because they moved to Jackson to plant a church. But we're so thankful for all the giftedness God has given this church. There's always somebody just to jump in there and take the lead. And he did a great job. I I said, you know, leading worship here is kind of like if your big brother had a big powerful Camaro with a big engine in it. And let you drive it once in a while. Get to get up there and just push the gas a little bit. Because you are a worshiping church. And that's a blessing. We are in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 8, commands to shepherds. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would give us understanding of your word. And Lord, apply it to our hearts that we might be a people, each and every one, that's life is known that we are about the gospel, Lord. That we own it. That we share it. That each one has fruitful lives because of it. And we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen last week we looked at the first 7 verses and Paul's command to Timothy and ultimately churches to be training up leaders if a church is looking outside of its walls for the next pastors because the church is not healthy so well well that doesn't seem a very fair statement no it's true and that's why churches go such different directions they get a new pastor on the new pastor new New uh, motivation, I guess, new direction. And so and then they head off another direction. And pastor, it's especially, churches in the West tend to be weak because people come here to get a start. Then they go, they want a bigger congregation someplace else. We talked about last week for pastor to get the idea to grow where you're planted. But part of that responsibility, he told Timothy, is train faithful men. And he used those examples of a soldier of an athlete and of a farmer, that you need to be strong and have endurance like a soldier, that you need to be unhooked from life, that the main thing you're about is God's will. No matter what you do for a living, choose men like that, that that their life is about the gospel. Thirdly, that they're fruitful. And that they're honorable, they run according to the rules, they do ministry the way the Lord wants ministry done. Train those kind of men. In what? And I think the rest of the chapter centers around these verses, 8 through 13, that we're to be about the gospel. Train men that are about the gospel and point them to direction and give them these commands that they're to be about the gospel, they're to be about the word of God, they're to have holy lives. And there'd be ministers that minister gently but confidently that they might win people to the Lord, that they might establish people in their walk with Christ. So we begin in verse 8. And he says, Remember Jesus Christ. Remember Christ. I can tell you myself personally that it's easy. As the church is growing, we come to this time of year and there's budgets and we talk about buildings and we talk about the counseling that's going on and all the challenges you have, making sure everybody gets ministered to and who's leading this group and who's taking care of Sunday school, that it's easy to get distracted from the main thing in the ministry and that is the gospel and that's remembering Jesus. Because remembering's not all that much, is it? Oh, yeah, that's powerful. That's how Jesus said we're supposed to remember him every time we gather around the table to have communion. It's about remembering everything about Christ. John MacArthur writes, the preeminence of our Lord Jesus Christ should always be in the forefront of our minds. He's the supreme and ultimate teacher of teachers. He was the greatest soldier, the greatest athlete, the greatest farmer. He fought the greatest battle, won the greatest victory. He ran the greatest race and won the greatest prize. He sowed the perfect seed and reaped the perfect harvest. We remember his life. It was not easy. He was the King of Kings. He was the Creator, and yet he was born in a stable. But Paul included that part. He said, "Remember Jesus, his life. He died for the cross on our sin. For on the cross for our sins, he took upon him the wrath of God in our place, that we might have life, that we might be justified, redeemed, cleansed." But then he says, not only rise from the dead, but he's of the seed of David. What is he talking about there? Listen, part of the whole gospel is all of God's promises to Israel. Do you realize that? And what did Jesus say? I'm coming again. And the Old Testament it promised to Abraham and all that he's going to make of him a great nation. And all the earth would be blessed because of Abraham. And then he promised David. One day, one of your sons will sit upon the throne forever, and we have the promise that one day Jesus is going to return. I don't know if you memorized this, but in Bible school, summer vacation Bible school, we memorized the Pledge to the Christian Flag. Do you remember that? I pledge allegiance to the Christian flag, and for whose Savior it stands. One Savior, crucified Risen and coming again with life and liberty to all the believe. Now it's not a verse. It's kind of like what we're going to look at here. It's not from scripture, as far as verbatim, but it's the principles of scripture. And Jesus said, "I'm going to go away, but I'm going to come again. And one day He's going to sit on the throne of David." That's part of the gospel. That God's going to save the whole nation of Israel. How is that possible? How is it possible He saved you? It's a miracle. It's a miracle that he saved anybody. That God's grace would reach down to sinners like us and say, I'm going to save that one. And he used all the circumstances, brought those people into your life to hear that message, to read that track, to read that scripture. Somebody left in a hotel room. And reached, Jesus reached down and opened your eyes to your need of a savior, and you responded by trusting him. That's a miracle. And Paul says, this is a command, remember Christ. Timothy was timid, maybe easily intimidated. And Paul told him in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, Timothy, God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a disciplined mind. And Timothy, you need to do the work of an evangelist. I know there's other people, it looks like it's more natural. He probably looks at the Apostle Paul and says, who can be like Paul? And yet, what did Paul pray for? When he asked the church to pray for him, almost every time he said, pray that we have boldness. What did the apostles pray for after they'd been threatened by the leadership in Jerusalem? And they went back to their prayer meeting, and they told God about all these people. They told God on them, and they said, but give your people boldness. They didn't say, and keep us from any more persecution. said, give your people the boldness in spite of the threats that we would be bold. And what did God do? He shook the place. Paul said, remember Jesus. Every Christian life is to be about Christ. Oh, I'm not a pastor. You've been saved from your sin. Your whole life is supposed to be about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you know what? The pastor and the elders of this church... We're not going to meet the people that you meet. And you're going to be up there close and personal in their face. Last week, young businessman, and I know there's a lot of you like this out there. He hired an employee. He said, so listen, you're going to come into this culture. I want you to know something. You don't have to be a Christian to work here, but this is a Christian culture. I want you to be aware of that. That's the way I ought to start. I know university professors, they're retired now, but they used to start their class out sharing their testimony. We're not trying to talk to anybody in anything. We're not preaching. This is what God has done for us. Paul said, it's my gospel. It wasn't that he thought it up. He received the gospel just like you and I received the gospel, but he owned it. It was his life, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. He believed in his power. He said, I own it to the extent that I'm in prison as a criminal as a criminal, you wonder, how's that possible? We used to think that, right? We know how that's going to be. We used to wonder, how in the world can you go to jail for preaching the gospel in the United States? Well, you just have some politicians turn things around so that good is evil and evil is good, and if you say anything against it, you're a hater. It's hate speech. I've been told recently that it's not automatic that we can put our sermons on YouTube anymore because it's content that's uh, questionable. So, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We just got another venue, not a problem. Things are changing. Paul said, I'm not ashamed, but he said this even though I'm in prison as a criminal, the gospel's not bound. We have a lot of people today in Christian circles that don't believe the power of the gospel. Oh, they believe the gospel and they want people to get saved, but they don't really believe it's about the gospel. It's about them and how they portray it. And so as they get questions about the Old Testament, and how God was so mean. I mean, he told the Israelites, go on, wipe out a nation. Listen, I don't know why God does everything he does. I don't understand that. All I know is he gave us the whole record. But they want a hook from that. Well, we don't, you know, if we're going to, Be ministering to scientific people. We don't want to have to have them believe, you know, six days of creation also. Well, why would you start with that? Start with the gospel. But what they say is we need to unhook from that. We also need to unhook from a lot of those great battles that were won miraculously, and they gave God the victory. Well, that's just what people said, and and those things that happened in the Old Testament were myths, and even the myths surrounding Jesus. If we can't explain it, then let's just unhook from it. Because they believe it's about them. And you see that in their motivation sharing the gospel. They've got an event. In our culture, we become event Christians. And we're looking for that event that, you know, if you invited your unsaved friend, you'd be cool for doing it because the event is really cool. And you won't have to be embarrassed at all because they're going to share whatever they share in such a cool way, they're going to walk away, even if they'll get saved, thinking it was so cool. But they are going to get saved and it never cost you anything. Wouldn't that be nice? The problem is, it's probably not the whole gospel, then either. People wonder sometimes. Some of my young guys going headed toward the ministry ask, them, Paul, why don't we, you know, in, in, the, in, the, in the spirit of unity, just get together with all the churches, all the events they have? Because I'm a little particular about where our flock goes, because I'm particular about the message they're going to hear. We don't do things just so we can show a unity of diversity, it's about the gospel. We used to be a part of things that have kind of gone downhill. and Some things just kind of lose their, they're not biblical, so if you use them for a while, that's fine. But if they they lose their punch, then you don't have to do those things anymore. We don't want to do things just so we can do things. There's a church in, in the book of Revelation that is kind of confronted by Jesus. And he said, it looks like there's life, but there's no life. In other words, there's a lot of activity going on, but it's not the real thing. I told you several years ago about how the Southern Baptists came up with this idea, how not to witness. Just give them the card with the 1-800 number on it. They're stealing people's joy. I'm glad for whatever they have that will share the gospel with people. But to take that away from the people in your church so they don't feel the responsibility, the opportunity, and then have the joy one day of seeing their friends come to know Jesus Christ, and then to disciple them, why would you do that? Well, because they feel the gospel's bound and it's not cool, and so we need to kind of change it. And it's like the illustration I probably overused, but I think it's a good one. Drunk bumped into D.L. Moody one day in Chicago, and as he staggered away, he said, Oh, Mr. Moody, I'm one of your disciples. And Moody said, Obviously, you're not one of Jesus' disciples. We're not worried about preaching ourselves. Paul said, We preach not ourselves. We preach Christ and the gospel is supernatural, and it's never bound. Here, Paul is in prison. And in, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, he writes, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances, he's in prison, have, not, have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. He ends another letter, uh, another letter uh, and he sends greeting out, so-and-so greets you, so-and-so greets you, and especially the house of Caesar, because wherever Paul went, the gospel went with him. He owned it. And he talked about being chained to a guard. He was an important prisoner. So what did the guard get? So what are you in for, Paul? The gospel. What's that? Let me share that with you. So the guard got saved and then he shared it with somebody else and the whole praetorian guard knew about Jesus. Gospel's not bound. John Bunyan wrote *Programs Progress from prison because he preached the gospel without a liturgical license. And you know what he did? He had a cell he couldn't even see out. He just looked at a wall. It was so high he couldn't even see out of it. And he would preach the gospel and people would gather by the hunters to hear him as he preached from his cell. The gospel is not bound. Now, we've heard the statement say, because like in China, there are more Christians there now than there was before communism took over and killed so many Christians and sent them to prison and to labor camps. More Christians now. Why? Because the gospel not bound. And some would say, well, that's good. It's good persecution comes so the gospel can spread. No. Paul doesn't say, Bring the persecution on so the gospel can spread. In fact, he says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, pray for kings and those in authority over you that we might have peace to preach the gospel. But what binds the gospel is when Christians don't share it. They don't share it. And for some reason, the church, not you, you haven't bought into it, but evangelical churches, just to kind of leave it for the professionals and for an event but it's not for sharing because, you know, you might lose your job. You mean like Paul, who got put in prison? He said, the gospel's not bound. It's powerful. It's powerful. All you have to do is share it. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. It's what God uses. And he could have used the angels to preach the gospel. But he called us as his children into that opportunity. What an amazing opportunity that God has called us into. The gospel's not bound. The next verse, he says, for this reason, I endure all things. For what? The gospel. I endure all things for the gospel. And then he says, so that for the sake of those who are chosen, so they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. Now, what's he talking about? People that are already saved for the chosen? No, no. He's talking about people that haven't received Christ yet. There's a really interesting verse in Acts, chapter 18, verses 9 and 10, because sometimes you get the idea that Paul just liked getting beat. I mean, he just really enjoyed that. It was kind of a thing for him, you know, because his habit was you go to a town. He started with the Jewish synagogue or place of prayer, and the people all loved it. And then he'd say, and God has offered salvation to the Gentiles too, and that led to, A riot, and then a beating, and then jail, and then on to the next town, repeat. And it's such a refreshing thing when you come to Acts 18, and he's just headed into Corinth. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, do not be afraid. What? Yeah. Paul knew what was coming when he preached the gospel. And that's why I wrote, Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But even Paul was afraid. Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you. No man will attack you in order to harm you. For I have many people in this city. Was he talking about? Christians? No, no. Those that were going to get saved. And many people. You know, if we could just get that. You know, Jesus said, lift up your eyes and look at the harvest It's already, there's people out there waiting to hear the gospel from you. Can you believe that? Because they don't respond like they they really want to hear the gospel. They might even say, don't even bring that up again. But you share the gospel. Something about the gospel. Don't be intimidated by people. Something about the gospel. Just share the gospel simply. What is that? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 to 4. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and he rose again according to the scripture. That's the gospel. And people need to hear there's an answer for their sin because even though they got it covered up well and it looks like they're dealing with it, they have a burden of sin. When everybody brings it up, they they hope nobody finds out about what happened a long time ago. We as believers know that our righteousness is not our own. We don't have to worry about that. We're going to be a Pharisee and cover everything up. We can live a transparent life. They don't know about that because they don't have forgiveness of sins. And we haven't given the news second. Corinthians chapter 5, this says God's not going to hold their sin against them if they receive Jesus. So what's Paul saying here? For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. Two things. Number one, there are some that come to a logical conclusion. And I understand how they got there, especially young men. They, figure they, they think they got God figured out. That since God chooses people for heaven, because it says right here, he chose some people to be saved. That's what it says, isn't it? Therefore, the ones that aren't chosen, he has chosen to send them to hell. The problem is the Bible also says God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So the Bible says to a believer, you were chosen before the foundation of the world. You are secure. But he also says to lost people, whosoever will may come. That's right. Well, I don't know how those things can come together. I don't either. It's just what the Bible teaches. And I say over and over again, I quote Charles Swindle, don't try to unscrew the inscrutability of God. It says here that God needs you to carry the gospel to lost people. They won't get saved. Well, if they're chosen, they're going to get saved I witness to them or not. It's not what it says. I think a better understanding might be what John Piper says. John Piper said, listen, the sovereignty of God is the safest doctrine in all of Christianity. God is in control. It doesn't mean he's written his will down in stone, walked away like the deists thinking he's going to let the clock want wind down. No, no. Our king is active. He's ruling. He loves his children be involved in what he's doing. He lays on your heart a lost person. So what do you do? You start praying. You start praying. You say, "Oh Lord, just give me the chance, right, to have somebody else share the gospel." No, no. You say, "Lord, give me the chance. Open the door that I can share the gospel with that person." And then maybe you start going in your mind, boy. If I get it. because he's told me before, don't ever talk to me again. But God's burdened you with his, with his, with it or her, his or her, her life. And so you begin to pray for them. And you've been to pray for them, and you maybe stumble through the gospel, and then, "Eh, I don't want to hear that. So you keep praying for them. God's not intimidated by whatever station they happen to be with in life, whether they're too poor or too rich or too sinful. God's not intimidated by that. The gospel's not bound. He said, I endure all things because some of those very people that beat him and put them in prison, what? Get saved. The Philippian jailer, Acts 16 supernatural. This jailer is in charge of their beating and their incarceration. And what do they do? At midnight, they start singing. What are they singing for? This is supernatural. They're not just tough. God just infuses their life with his joy that they are able to suffer for the cause of Christ like their wonderful Savior. And God loves to worship so much, he shakes the whole place and opens all the prison doors. And the jailer thought, my life's over. But you know what? He heard the gospel, didn't he? And Paul calls out because he knows the penalty if prisoners get away. He's a dead man. That jailer's a dead man. He said, Don't do yourself any harm. And the jailer comes in trembling with a light and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Who did that? Did Paul do it? No, Paul didn't do it. Paul just shared the gospel. He probably heard about Paul, but now he's in prison, even from prison. This person that probably said, you need to stop with this gospel stuff. I'm going to give you a beat and you remember it. Get saved. Paul himself was a terrorist. And God overwhelmed his heart one day on a road to go persecute more people and saved him. The gospel is so powerful. You need to have a hold on that thing. The gospel is so powerful. All you have to do is share it. And it's like a seed. Listen, you you don't... uh, Margie... Christy's friend and, and Claire, my granddaughter, gave Christy this ugly bulb in a plastic flower pot. Now, Christy and I, we, we, you know, we're ranchers. We can't grow plants. And so it said, don't water too much. said, okay, we're good with that. We don't have to water too much. She just put it on the table. And this big, thick stem grew up and five big, beautiful flowers about this big from that ugly bulb. How does that work? The Bible of it says, how does the seed do that? You put a seed in the ground. You don't see it die and sprout. You just kind of put it there. So is the gospel, that kind of powerful seed. Just share it. Just share it. You don't know how God's going to use it. You don't know what God's going to do in that person's heart to prepare their heart. But he knows how to put them in a pinch. He knows how to put them in a bind. He knows how to make them afraid to death of where their life's going to end up. And then give them the hope to draw them to themselves. We just get the opportunity to come alongside. And you know, Paul had seen God's miracle power over and over again. So he said, I want to tell you something. Romans chapter 8 he talks about security of God. I think it's verse 18. He says, the things that we suffer here cannot be compared to the glory. They're going to enjoy in heaven. But even that to the glory, we get the experience of God's ex nihilo power every time a soul comes to Christ. Every time somebody gets saved. And then he gives these last three verses. The second part of that is not just to get saved, but that they'll, they'll share the glory. You know, our church mission statement comes from Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Reaching every man, teaching every man, that we might present every man mature, perfect to Christ. That's what we labor for. So discipleship isn't just a decision Is the whole counsel of God that every person might be mature, thoroughly furnished to all good works. And then he goes on with this little, it may have been a hymn. At least it was a creed of the church, something they said. So it wasn't quoted from Old Testament Scripture. But maybe a hymn they sang. It's a trustworthy statement. If we die with him, we will also live with him. That's not talking about being dead like spiritually in baptism and rising. He's talking about if you die as a martyr, you're going to live with Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The worst thing that can to a believer is not death. That's no different than rapture. I was thinking about this week. My uncle Jim found out later, my dad's oldest brother went to be with the Lord yesterday. He was a believer. No doubt about that. One of his sons-in-law wrote a text and it said, Big Jim's in glory. Because we have that confidence. Because the promises of God. But even if you die as a martyr, you're going to live with Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul said, listen, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. This tent is going to fold up. Whether young age or old age, it's going to fold up one day. We're going to die. Unless the Lord comes back and catches his, 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 his believers. And the Bible says there it's an atom of time. So if the rapture comes and you're walking down the street, you're just going to be in heaven. And go, whoa, what happened there? Saying it happens in death to the believer. You close your eyes here, you wake up in heaven. I think I've told you before, I I was so blessed when our friend Ray Weaver got sick. And one night we were down to visit him and he says, you know, I went to sleep last night and I woke up. I was so disappointed. I'm still here. See, that's a supernatural hope that God puts in the heart of a believer. So when I get news that my uncle's gone to be with the Lord, I know where he's at. We didn't lose him. He's got a new body, new spirit, new worship. He is seeing the face of God. Paul said, what's the worst thing that happened? You go see Jesus? Listen, if you, if you die because of martyrdom, you just get a greater reward. Secondly, this hymn they sang says, if we endure, we're going to reign with him. He's going to give us crowns of faithfulness. And if you're faithful a little, he'll make you ruler over much. You think you give up a lot for Jesus? You don't give up anything for Jesus. You just became a son of the king who created everything. He's going to give you life, eternity. And the Bible says, if you can be faithful with that which is not your own, your life and everything that lives here because everything here belongs to the Lord, and he can trust you with that, then he can trust you with that which will be your own in heaven because you'll be made perfect. Then he says, verse 12, the last part, if we deny him, he will also deny us because this life has a way of kind of winnowing between the real and the not so real, just like chaff. You know, they would take, in, in Israel would go there, they, they show us some of those farm implements they would use to separate the grain from the chaff, and they'd run the the big stone over the top to break up the chaff. Then they'd take it with a big basket, throw it up there, the breeze would come and Pull the chaff away. That's what happens in the Christian life. That's why it's so important when you're sharing the gospel. Don't, don't lead somebody into prayer. When they get to the place it's God working, they'll know how to cry out and say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. But don't lead them into prayer because then they'll think you saved them. It's so important you don't lead your children in prayer. I shared the story. I'll share it again. He's sitting here. But Andrew was just a little guy and he came to me, him and his. Friend had watched somebody get baptized, heard the testimony. I don't know, he was five or six years old, just a little guy. And he said, Dad, I need to be saved. I said, all right, let's sit down here, Andrew. So we sat down, and I just went through the high points in the book of Romans. This is the things we need to understand. Okay, Dad, got it? Okay, well, why don't you pray? Andrew prayed all the way around the world for all the lost people and all the missionaries. Well, that's good, Andrew, but you're probably not ready. No, Dad, I'm ready. I said, okay, but what do we talk about, son? I, I, I got it, Dad. And he prayed one of the most biblical prayers I've ever heard us in pray. But it's so he prayed it on his own. It wasn't me. Oh, you know, here, here's, say these words. That's what we want. Why? Because we want them to be saved. But how many people that don't want anything to do with God, but their parents are convinced they're going to heaven because I led them into prayer? You think it's like a genie? You rub the bottle and say, open sesame. Ask Jesus in your heart. It's all good. If God didn't do a work, there's no salvation. It's so important that we share the gospel as clear as we can and leave it with them. Such a blessing to me. I don't know if it was Fisher or somebody. It was, I don't know, maybe it was Cyrus. Came up and said, Pastor, I want to be baptized. All right, Cyrus, you just got to share your testimony. I want to hear the story. And later Aaron said, I don't even know he's coming. That's probably better. Parents asked me, well, how can a young person win the old enough? I don't know when they can stand on their own two feet and tell me the story of how God worked in their heart to convict them of their sin and how they believed that Jesus Christ and his death on the cross was the answer and they received him as Lord and Savior by themselves, that's when. That's when. So in our Sunday school, we lay out the gospel. Every week, they hear the gospel. But God's the one that brings people to repentance. And sometimes what happens in life His trouble comes, and people come and they say, no, I'm not really a Christian. Hmm, what happened there? Well, they were never a Christian. They were with Christians, but they were never a Christian. Then he says this next line, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Oh, oh, then, well, that means that if they said, no. What that means is God is faithful to his word. And the same Jesus that came to be the Savior will one day be the judge. John 3, remember, he's talking to Nicodemus. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life, and the wrath of God abideth on him. So if somebody doesn't, they may know the gospel, they may know the Bible, but they've never submitted their life to the gospel, they never received Christ as their Savior, Jesus one day will be their judge There is no universal salvation. Jesus is faithful to his word, and that's why Paul said, Knowing, therefore, the the tremendous wrath of God, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That's our great opportunity. Now, listen, people can make a choice, but he said it's a serious thing because we're talking about eternity. Eternity. There's not like an alternative for people that were Buddhists or really good Catholics that are really good Baptists that never really got saved, but they were good people. No, no. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Serious. And the rest of this book, I'm just going to summarize. We're going to go through every, every verse. But he talks about the commands. Now it's so important to refute false doctrine. Verse 15. That you as laborers in the word, that you as pastors study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's why it's so important. In all of our small groups, there's accountability to an elder. Somebody says, hey, we're hearing some weird stuff in our small group. Well, we're going to remove a teacher then, you know? And it's not that you agree with every jot and tittle, but there are some fundamentals that we, that we hold to that we're not going to put up with somebody teaching something different like was happening in the churches that Timothy was dealing with. Oh, the resurrection has passed or the resurrection, well, that's just a spiritual thing. It's not real. 1 Corinthians 15, and obviously right here. How do you combat that? By having a firm handle on the word of God. That's why we not only disciple and teach, but we have a seminary to give people tools so when they go out from here, they can stand on the word of God. So we have a Bible Institute, so everybody, you may want to get a bachelor's degree, but everybody should be steeped and, and founded in the Word of God. The next thing he goes to, he says, verses 19 to 23, I think, he says it's so important that people that are sharing the gospel are holy, are holy. And it's a lifelong pursuit. Verse 22, now flee from youthful lusts. And the idea is you're always going to be fleeing. There's never a place until we get to heaven that we don't have to flee from sin, that we don't have to say no to the flesh. It's something that's always going, it's a fight. But the reason you fight is because you're alive. So, young men, don't ever think you get to the point that, well, I get as old as pastor. He doesn't have to deal with sin anymore. That's not true. That's not true. I remember my dad taking one time, my mom and Christy were shopping, and it was springtime, and we're sitting there because we're doing what men do. We found a chair, we sat down while they shopped, right? That's what we do. And uh, that way I could enjoy shopping because I'm more of a buyer just going by. So we're sitting there, and my dad said, you know, Paul, I found that in the springtime when women start wearing less clothes, I have to learn all over again to turn my head. I'm like, the master pastor? Yes. He was the master pastor because he dealt with his flesh, and he never got over dealing with his flesh. Flee youthful lust. It's a lifelong fleeing, you're, you're like a, a somebody that got out of jail, and you're going to be fleeing from that all of your life. And then he says, but pursue, and that's a lifelong pursuit. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those that call upon the Lord from a pure heart. Lifelong pursuits. And then he says, verse 24, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to all, able to teach, patient with wrong, with gentleness... Correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive to him by him to do his will. Listen, we understand what our ministry is. Dr. Bookman taught me when I was in Bible college, one of my favorite classes in Bible college. Since then, I like Life of Christ more. But anyway, it was logical fallacies, and he would take a logical fallacy, and he'd use... Snoopy characters, Peanuts characters to kind of be the illustration. But then he would teach us about logical fallacies. And it's so practical when it comes to sharing the word of God. And he had this one logical fallacy he taught that if you have to use emotion to back up your point it's because you're afraid it won't stand by itself. Often Sam, my son, will be ministering some of the barber chair. And I suppose it makes him nervous. I mean he is to have a very sharp razor you know, as he shaves them. But as he's sharing the gospel, sometimes people start getting angry. They'll say, whoa, we, we, we don't have to get angry. We're just talking. What are you angry for? Oh, oh, oh okay, well. Oh. See, we don't go to the doctor and you get sick so the doctor smacks you around and says, what in the world are you getting sick for? I told you not to get the flu. So he smacks you around before he gives him. We don't, you know, why would you do that as a minister of God? If we are confident in our walk with God, we have the shield of faith. We're walking in holiness. We understand the word of God, that it's truth. We're convinced of it. We don't have to defend it. J. Vernon McGee it's like a lion. Just take it off the chain. But it's so important that we're confident so that we share the, the gospel with gentleness. Because people are trapped by Satan. They're trapped. And we're there to set them free. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage. Lord, I pray that you would call more young men to the gospel, those that you've called and gifted. Lord, prepare their heart now. Lord, and I pray that each one of us, men, women, and children in this church, that it would be a growing angst for us to share the gospel with people. There would be a growing desire that our life would be about the gospel. That's what we're known about, somebody that just loves Jesus and shares the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in our church. We're so thankful for what you're doing with those that have gone from our church around the world to different places. Bless those ministries. But, Lord, we've not had enough. Lord, we want more people to come to Christ. Lord, I pray that this year would be a year of great harvest, and then we'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together.